Get your fill of baseball news and beer reviews at foulballarea.com. Follow our blog for the latest news around the baseball world and read about some of our favorite ballpark beers. Tune into the podcast every Wednesday as we take a deep dive into the topics of the day. Stay connected by signing up for our mailing list or following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Foulball Area. Now, here's today's episode of the Foulball Area Podcast with Matthew Atkins and Trey Lyle. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest episode of the Foulball Area Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Atkins, alongside my co-host, Trey Lyle, back with us again this week to break down the latest news around Major League Baseball. Trey, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, and I think we need to obviously start with uh, the passing of Pedro Gomez, uh, who passed away suddenly last night, Sunday night. We record this Monday night, and, uh, you know, an icon in terms of a journalist in our sport. I remember watching him as a kid, you know, his story's incredible. If you knew about it, he's a Cuban immigrant. He came to this country and loved the game of baseball and his ability to connect with those Latin American players really, you know, gave us an opportunity to kind of bridge the gap in that language barrier that comes with it naturally. And, and Pedro Gomez was, I think really at the forefront of, you know, helping create Latin American stars to connect with the American audience, just his ability, you know, obviously he, he could fluently speak Spanish and English and just connect with those players and, and kind of grow the game. And so as, you know, an aspiring journalist like us, I guess we can call ourselves journalists at this point since yeah. we've graduated. Yeah, we uh, his impact on the game, I think, uh, was felt, and you could tell that in people's remembrance of him. So obviously I, I think this was the perfect way to kind of start our podcast in reminiscing the life of Pedro Gomez, rest in peace. And of course, uh, both Matt and I want to send thoughts and prayers to the Gomez family today. Yeah, I was going to say that it feels like we're doing one of these every week and it's getting really sad. I mean, it's been mostly baseball players and Hall of Famers for the, the past couple of months. They're just, uh, we've lost so many of them over the past year and especially over the past couple of months. And, you know, Hank Aaron passing away a couple of weeks ago, that hit a lot of people hard and uh, a lot of tributes and remembrances of him, but it just continues with the passing of Pedro Gomez, and it is really sad. And he was only 58 years old too, so it was a it was a sudden and unexpected passing uh, when we got the news on Sunday night. So yeah, our thoughts and prayers with his family and with his colleagues at ESPN and around the baseball world. Uh, getting to the baseball news of the day, we do have a lot to talk about since last week's episode of the podcast aired. A lot of news has gone down. Real quick, the highlights, and then we'll dive into each topic a little more in depth but first Trevor Bauer the by most accounts the number one free agent on the market this year signed a three-year 102 million dollar deal with the Los Angeles Dodgers the rich get richer in the National League West and the Dodgers get the reigning Cy Young winner on their team for 2021 the Atlanta Braves have re-signed left fielder slash designated hitter Marcelo Zuna to a four-year 64 million dollar deal took them right up until two weeks before spring training to get this deal done when everyone knew all offseason that was the one thing they had to do. The Angels have avoided arbitration with Shohei Otani and signed him to a two-year, $8.5 million deal. And that's what's happened around Major League Baseball since last week's episode of the podcast. So let's start with Trevor Bauer. The reigning Cy Young winner in the National League gets a three-year, $102 million deal from the Los Angeles Dodgers. The reigning World Series champions. A lot of people comparing this to Kevin Durant joining the Golden State Warriors when he was a free agent a couple of years ago. I don't think it's exactly the same because I don't think Bauer is as good of a baseball player as Durant is as a basketball player, but it's still 
kind of similar because he is the reigning Cy Young and he decides to go to the reigning champion team. So, I'm, yeah, I'm, the yeah, the rich I mean, I yeah, I think you summed it up perfectly. I uh, I put it as you know the Padres bolstering their their bulk or their their starting rotation, and and I went the Dodgers were like, all right, hold my beer. And I mean, this is incredible. I think they're the like they're the favorites to win it all, like already. And I think it's it's even more a lock. It's starting to become you know those KD Golden State Warriors where you just felt like you know the inevitable. The Dodgers were going to win it all. And I mean, you look at this Dodgers rotation. Is Trevor Bauer their number two? Like, is Walker Buehler the number one? And then or number three? Yeah, you could argue that he's the number three pitcher for the Dodgers. Like I, I put it this way: like Clayton Kershaw, who is the greatest pitcher of a generation, like can't argue that is their number three starter probably right now. I would, I would put him as his, their number three starter, just the way it is. You know, they have the development of Dustin May is going to be big. Julio, Julio Urias in the playoffs was was phenomenal. Like their weakness is their bullpen, and they have a good bullpen. Like. They probably have. I will say they have the best, the best lineup and the best rotation in baseball. Yeah, I think you can make legitimate arguments at either of those. I mean, their lineup is just insane. Mookie Betts and Corey Seager, Co- Corey Seager, Cody Bellinger. It's uh, Justin it's just Turner. Incredible. If they bring him back, which they they still need to bring Justin Turner back. I don't know where else he would go, but we can get into that later. Uh, and then the rotation: Bauer, Kershaw, and Bueller. I mean, it it is. And like you said, Julio Urias is developing into a very good pitcher. They have Tony Gonsolin. They have Dustin May. I mean, they have a stacked rotation, and Trevor Bauer is just going to add to it. it. It makes them, like like you said, they were already the favorites. I don't know what where they go from here. They're just skyrocketing up in terms of being the favorites to win the National League and the World Series next year. Yeah, it's incredible what the Dodgers did. I mean, they kind of played you know, their final hand. They're like seeing all these moves made, especially by the Padres trying to, you know, compete with them. And they're like, all right, bet, watch this. And they give Trevor Bauer gets a really good deal. I mean, people talk about, you know, his money and they try to, you know, average it out per year, but it really is a, you know, a two year deal where he gets paid 40 million in the first year. He can opt out. I don't expect him doing because he make 45 in the second, and then he'll opt out after the second year and cash in again. So you think about this, Trevor Bauer goes in, wins maybe one or two world series. And then comes out with his resume, he's going to cash in in two years. And I think this is a really good deal for Trevor Bauer, realizing what his market could be in a couple of years after he wins possibly, you know, one to two championships. Yeah. So that's the thing it's a three year deal, $102 million. And the way it's broken down, like you said, $40 million this year, 45 next year, and then $17 million in 2023 if he stays that long because he does have the opt outs after each season. I don't think anybody expects him to be in Los Angeles, at least on this contract in 2023. It's basically and, a two-year, $85 million contract. Let's yeah, let's, let's put it that way. Pretty much. And he's always said throughout his whole career that he wants to sign one-year deals so he can just jump around from team to team, go wherever he's most interested, wherever he feels he has the best shot to win or the best shot to compete each year. And so that kind of fits along with his, his career plan that he's always said he wanted to do. So he'll be he'll be a Dodger this year. He'll get paid $40 million, which, by the way, breaks the annual value record that was set by Garrett Cole last year when he signed with the Yankees. So Trevor Bauer will now be the highest paid player in Major League Baseball history when he earns $40 million from the Dodgers this And he'll break that the next year. And yes, Assuming no one gets paid higher, which he makes probably will happen. Million. So he'll go to the Dodgers this year. 
who knows if he'll be able to follow up last year with a similar season. I personally, I think he's getting overpaid because you look at his career. Yes, he had a very good 2020 season. Yes, he was a Cy Young and he deserved to win that award. But that was his one like really good season. He's had some decent seasons, but he was never a top tier pitcher until 2020. And it was a shortened season. It was only a third of what the regular season would be. So it's tough to really tell if he can sustain that success over 162 games. But he doesn't need that type of success for the Dodgers. He's there not he's he he's, doesn't. He's there You're right. He's probably going to be I think he'll be their number 2 pitcher. I think they're going to keep they want Walker Bueller to be their ace and I think he deserves to be their ace just because of his team. So I think he'll be their number 2 pitcher and I think he needs, you know, just moderate success in terms of what he can do. Like I don't I think there's a lot of pressure on him to perform, but I think if you're the Dodgers, you're not like if we can get a Cy Young year out of them again, that's, you know, incredible. But we have a, a good enough team around us where if we can get, you know, that really, really good number two pitcher, which I think Trevor Bauer easily is capable of. Like, I think that's like the minimum bar he can set. Then they're really good because they're going to have Kershaw in as their third. And it's – I just think – I think, you know, he's – Bauer's going to have the best run support he'll ever have in his career. I think he's he's a guy that likes to take risk on the mound. He's that kind of player, and I think he's going to do that a little bit more. And I think it's gonna it's gonna work for him. His whole free agency saga has been filled with all kinds of rumors and reports and all kinds of uh, conflicting stories. And I think it was Thursday night when everyone thought that he was finally going to sign, and they thought he was going to sign with the New York Mets and Bob Nightingale of USA Today tweeted out Bauer and the Mets have a deal. And so everyone immediately says, you know, given Bob Nightingale's history of reporting, everyone gets excited because he is a national baseball reporter, but he also has made a lot of mistakes throughout his career. So everyone's kind of like, take this with a grain of salt. And then a couple minutes later, some other reporters like Mark Feinstein and some other national guys, they come out and say that they don't have a deal Bob Nightingale's tweet is still up that the Mets and Bauer have a deal from Thursday night. Of course, Friday he signed with the Dodgers. So I really feel bad for the Mets fans in all this because they felt like they were very close to getting Trevor Bauer. They had a nationally known baseball reporter tweet out that they had a deal. So it looked like the Mets were going to get him, and then they didn't. Also, adding insult to injury, Trevor Bauer's own website accidentally launched merchandise featuring the Mets, which also made people think that he was going to sign in New York. And they also sent an email to all of his, subscri- his subscribers advertising a, f- a giveaway of a signed Mets hat. That was an accident that his his team somehow launched before he announced that he signed with the Dodgers. So I really that feel bad been trolling. for the Mets fans and all That might have been some trolling. He, he said, he came out, he said he owes the Mets fans an apology because he didn't mean to troll them and he didn't mean to lead them on. It was it was a pure accident, and so I, I I just I think about all the Mets fans in this who thought they were getting a Cy Young caliber pitcher, and they ended up not. I mean, it, it was really really looking like he was going to be pitching for the Mets next season, and then he signs with the Dodgers. So you got to feel bad for the Mets fans and all this. Nathan Laprie, if you're out there listening, we feel for you. Also, Andrew Alex, shout out to him as well. We feel for you, my man. Some other free agent news, like we mentioned, Marcelo Zuna signed with the Braves, a four-year, $64 million deal. The one thing the Braves needed to do this offseason, well, I mean, maybe there's a couple other things, but they've done those. The biggest thing that the Braves needed to do this offseason 
was bring back Marcelo Zuna. He had a fantastic year, a career year last season. And again, it was a shortened season, only 60 games, but he still had a very good year and they needed to bring him back. They need that bat in their lineup. He led the National League in home runs. His OPS was 1.067. He had 56 RBIs. I mean, he's a very good power hitter that they need this bat in their lineup. They could not afford to lose a power bat like Ozuna. Now, there are some questions about his defense, and it looks like the National League will not have a designated hitter in 2021, so he probably will be playing left field for the Braves, but people forget that just four years ago in 2017, he won a gold glove. So yes, there are some questions about his defense, if he can play defense at a high level, but he's four years removed from winning a gold glove, so it's not like he's a terrible defensive player. And I think that the power of his bat outweighs whatever his defense is going to bring. You know, other than signing a, uh, a decent starting pitcher, which they did with Charlie Morton, the Braves needed to re-sign Marcel Azuna. You know, he fulfilled the Josh Donaldson role. Obviously didn't do it defensively, but did it offensively last year. I still think they need to, you know, fill that role defensively at third base. You know, maybe try to make a move for Chris Bryant. That's a little bold, but... If you're trying to win a championship now, you have the team to do it. And, you know, the Dodgers are a lot better than than that. Like, they're really, really good. So you better get, you know, as many MVP caliber players as you can. And that's at Chris Bryant is best. He's an MVP caliber player. So that's something the Braves could do. I don't know if they have the capital to do it or could, but it's something they need to look at. But uh, I know you feel happy about having a Zuna back and, you know, our teams needed to resign, you know, maybe their best player last season. Obviously, for the Braves, Freddie Freeman, but one of their best players from last season. So, and they did that, and that was the biggest thing. I also want to give a shout out to the Braves organization because so frequently with free agent contracts and all this kind of stuff, you see reports from guys like Ken Rosenthal or John Heyman or guys like that, that you know, the big national baseball writers. You see their reports on Twitter that a player has signed with a team. And the team takes two weeks to officially announce it. The Braves somehow don't let this kind of stuff get out until they're ready to announce it. Because you saw a couple of reporters announcing it on Friday night. And then five minutes later, the Braves tweet out a video of Marcelo Zuna hitting a home run. And it says, Marcel is back. I mean, like they, they don't let this stuff get out before they're ready to announce it. So you got to give props to the Braves organization for being able to keep stuff like this under wraps. Like, it's it's a, a track record with them. I remember last offseason, pretty much every move they made, they were the ones to announce it. So major props to the Braves keeping things under wraps before they are ready to let it get out there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Braves got it done. They needed to get it done. And happy, you know, they did get it done because Ozuna deserved, you know, to get paid like that on a long-term deal. You saw his post that he made online after it talking about, you know, his struggle to get to that point. And so it was uh, really cool to see. Before we get into our next topic of the show, I don't know how we've gone this far without mentioning it, but uh, Trey, did you watch the Super Bowl last night? I did watch the Super Bowl. Of course I did. Yeah, I figured. I don't know who wasn't watching the Super Bowl, but uh, it was it was kind of a disappointing game. I was expecting a lot more out of those two teams. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I thought Kansas City was going to win. Uh, I underestimated the loss of Eric Fisher and, you know, not having your two starting tackles. And it definitely looked like the right tackle was not good at all. So it 
you know, pressure on the edge, the defense, hell of a game plan by Todd Bowles. I think he was the real MVP of that game because you hold the best offense, you know, ever to nine points. Like when, when they're humming, the Chiefs are, are the real deal. And so, you know, and you can't deny Brady seven. So that's pretty incredible. And obviously uh, Yogi Bear coming out or his family, I should say, coming out and uh, going at the, the GOAT in football about his championships. You know, Yogi Bear is still at 10. So I guess that's the next mark for Brady. Yeah, that's why I wanted to bring this up because you can't deny that Tom Brady is the greatest of all time. And regardless of what you think of him, he is a winner. He's won seven Super Bowl championships now, more than any team in the NFL. But like you said, Yogi Berra won 10 World Series rings in his time with the Yankees. Bill Russell won 11 NBA championships in, 13 years. in his 13-year career. And he coached some of that time. So Brady is the greatest football player of all time. He is no doubt a winner, but he's got a ways to go before he gets to the greatest team athlete of all time. Yeah, it's a hard debate. I, I mean, I think they're different sports. Like, it, it, it depends. Like, I think Jordan belongs in it. You know, Serena Williams, like greatest athlete of all time. Like, you know, Serena Williams, I think, deserves to be in that discussion. Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Tom Brady deserves to be. I think since football is such a hard sport to win in and his longevity, it's kind of hard to compare to baseball, even though Yogi Berra was a catcher in basketball. It, it, it's a fun debate. I mean, if someone asked me who's the greatest athlete ever, I'll say Bo Jackson because the dude was a freak and probably, if he didn't get hurt, was a Hall of Famer in two sports. Like, just athlete. Like, if I needed an athlete, I'm picking Bo Jackson. But the greatest winner in sports, it's hard not to say Tom Brady because of just the modern era of football and how he's had this longevity. And I mean, the dude's had two Hall of Fame careers between, you know, like you take split his career in half, it's two Hall of Fame careers, which is ridiculous. Yeah, definitely is. And now he's brought the Tampa Bay Buccaneers their second Super Bowl title in franchise history. And Tampa now, as a city, could be the new city of champions. The Lightning won the NHL Stanley Cup. The Buccaneers won the Super Bowl. And the Rays made it to the World Series last year, which brings us to our next topic of discussion on today's show. Which division in baseball is the most intriguing in 2021? MLB put out an article where they ranked them, and let's see if we agree with them. Their order, the most compelling divisions to watch for next season. Number one is the National League East. Number two is the American League East. Number three is the National League West. Number four, the AL Central. Coming in at number five is the AL West, and the least intriguing division is the National League Central. So let's just focus on these top three, the NL East, the AL East and the NL NL West, which of those interests you the most? I'm going to say the NL West, despite what the Dodgers did, because I think the best two teams in the National League are in that division. So I, I don't think like if the bottom part is not as good, it's probably the rest. It's just those top two teams are so good that I think it's pretty interesting to see because um, unless the playoff format changed, that's an NLDS matchup probably. So unless they revert back, because I'm not exactly sure, I think they're back to the original playoff format for this year so far, which is, yeah, you know, are. the two wildcard teams and and like that. So that that think about that. Dodgers, Padres, ALDS is going to be insane. Um, maybe the NL East is more, most competitive in terms of top to bottom, but I still think Atlanta will have firm control on it. I think the Marlins at a 60 games was a little flukish. Maybe the Nationals bounce back we'll see what the Phillies do I don't trust them yet and then the Mets are the Mets 
Uh, for the American League East, I think historically they're the best of all time. I think there's no denying that. I mean, they have two of the greatest franchises. Um, I think it's, again, it's a two-horse race uh, between the Yankees and the Rays, and we'll see what happens with the rest. As for uh, the rest of it, you know, moving on to the AL Central, I think it's it's really, you know, after the moves made, it's a two another two horse race, which gives us interesting between you know the White Sox and the Twins. I lean the White Sox there. The AL West would be a lot more interesting if the Angel if you trusted the Angels more, but I think um, the bottom part of that division is just not that good. And then the NL Central, I'm shocked was at six because it was the most competitive division, and you could argue it is the most competitive division in baseball. And I would move it probably to you know at least number two because I think you have four. T- teams in there that really despite the moves the Cubs have made could win the division or at least compete in the division yeah but you have one team really only one team that's actually looking really good for next year and that's the St. Louis Cardinals especially after they traded for Nolan Arenado the rest of the teams are kind of lacking direction I mean the Pirates are just awful the Reds lost Trevor Bauer they had a good season last year but the thing is those central teams were all competing against each other last year. So it's hard to really tell how good they're going to be this year of the two central divisions. I think the Cardinals and the white Sox and the twins, I guess you throw the twins in there. I think those are the really only the really good teams out of those two divisions. So it's going to be competitive because none of the teams are really that good. In my opinion, that's what I mean about compelling. Like, I'm thinking about a race, like a race for the division title. I think those are going to be a lot closer than, you know, the AL West, for example, at least, until and, – and even the AL Central. Like, I definitely put the NL Central at least fourth. I probably have it, you know, the NL West one, the AL East two, and then probably the NL East three, and then the NL Central four. And then, you know, AL West, AL Central, probably 5-6 is how I would rank it. I think I'm going to agree with MLB.com's predictions Woo! And, and their rankings. I know that's boring just going with what MLB puts out there, but I, I agree with it. I don't see any, any flaws in their argument. I mean, the National League East, all those teams on paper are so even. You got the Braves, the Phillies, the Mets, the Nationals, the Marlins who made the playoffs last year. They're all so even on paper, and the the Mets have made a lot of good moves this offseason, bringing in Francisco Lindor and Carlos Carrasco and signing James McCann. They've made a lot of good moves, and I think they will be a better team next year. The Nationals are one year removed from a World Series title, and they brought in Josh Bell over the offseason, so he's a great first baseman, and that was one of their needs. One of their biggest needs was a first baseman. So I think that the Nationals are going to trend upward next year. You have the Phillies, who brought back JT Realmuto. They have Bryce Harper, who is still one of the top players in baseball, even though we don't always think of him in that way anymore. He is one of the top players. They have Reese Hoskins, who can be one of the top players when he's hot. So the Phillies have a good team. If they're able to get their bullpen in order, they can compete. The Marlins are the only team I really have questions about. I didn't mention the Braves because, obviously, they can compete. They've won the past three division titles, and they just brought back their biggest bat in the lineup. So all of those teams should be very competitive, and they, they shouldn't just be competitive for the division. They should be competitive throughout all of Major League Baseball because they're all very good teams. Then you have the American League East. You have the Yankees, who are obviously the favorites, the Rays, who made the World Series last year and are always a good competitive team, and then the Blue Jays, who have reloaded this year. They have their young, homegrown core talent like Vlad Guerrero Jr., Bo Bichette, 
then they brought in George Springer. They've made some other moves this offseason. They have some very good pieces there. I think the Blue Jays are ready to compete this year. So the AL East should be competitive. And then the National League West, yes, it's going to be very fun to watch that race. I don't think it's going to be a competitive division with all five teams. I think it's just between the Dodgers and the Padres. And Fangraphs has them predicted to be the number two and number three teams in baseball next year behind the Yankees, who are projected to be the best team in Major League Baseball. But the Padres and the Dodgers are going to be so much fun to watch next year. Like, you can just throw out the rest of the teams in their division. The Rockies, the Giants, the Diamondbacks, they don't really matter. It's all about the Padres and the Dodgers next year. That race is going to be so much fun to watch. And just for those two teams alone, that makes the NL West the number three most compelling division. I get it. I, I get your point. But I will. Uh, I just think like those top two teams are so good. And I can already envision how good that playoff series is going to be, where I kind of put it at number one. I think about it like this. Those years where the Yankees and the Red Sox were so good. They were the top two teams in the AL East. And there was no real competition. What everyone was talking about when the Yankees and the Red Sox would meet in the postseason. Like, I think the conversation in the National League all year is going to be wait till the Dodgers and the Padres meet up in in the postseason. And I think it's going to be the it matchup, you know, this season. Yeah, I definitely think it will be. I mean, I don't know what else to say about it. It's just going to be really fun to watch. And I think that the Padres are closing the gap. At least they were until the Dodgers went out and signed Trevor Bauer. But it, they were, they were in the process of closing the gap. They had a very good season last year. And again, it was a shortened season. It's difficult to tell how anything is going to translate to a full 162-game season. But they were very good last year. They have a lot of good players. They have one of the best young players in baseball in Fernando Tatis Jr. The, 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 the Dodgers and the Padres, it's, I mean, it's a rivalry now. It's actually an intense rivalry because both teams are so good. It's going to be... I think I could put that as the most compelling division race to watch, but the most compelling divisions overall are the NL East and AL East. That's how I would say it. Okay. I mean, we have to agree to disagree. I think we have the same top three at least. It's just the order of them are different. All right. That's all we've got on today's episode of the Foul Ball Area Podcast. For Trey Lyle, I'm Matthew Atkins. Thank you all for tuning in. And we will see you next week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Make sure you rate and subscribe the podcast where you listen it. We'd love to hear the feedback from you. And maybe we even get your reviews on air. So uh, if you hit us with a review anywhere you get the podcast, we'd love to hear. You can also follow us on Twitter at area at Matkins21, at Trey Lyle on social media. Thank you so much for listening in this week. And Matt, hope you have a good one. And I'll uh, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to the Foul Ball Area Podcast. Make sure to leave a review and a rating wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe so you get new episodes as soon as they come out.